I was told by a mentor several years ago that uh, on the Sunday after Thanksgiving, the one thing that you cannot talk about is football, college football. And so I, I thought I would choose a slightly more neutral topic, um, which is the end of the world. Uh, so we can, we can all be on the same page about that, right? The, the great equalizer. Well, it is Advent. This is the first Sunday of Advent, and as many of you know, Advent is um, the season in the Christian calendar where we, uh, where we retrain our souls to apprehend the second coming of Jesus. We retrain our souls. And uh, we, we tend, I think, to, to ponder Advent as a kind of looking back at Jesus' birth, right? But, but really, Advent is a looking back in order to look forward. Um, the idea here is that if, uh, if we are to anticipate the second coming of Jesus, then we will need to know about his first coming uh, in the first century in Roman Judea. And so we look, we look back in order to look forward. That's what, what Advent is actually about. It's about a, a season of preparation and trust that God, through Jesus Christ, will ultimately... This is the hope. Restore all things in heaven and earth to himself. It's about the restoration of all things, and it's about the preparation of that event. And so in a way, Advent is actually more of a practice for us every year than it is a season. It's more of a practice. And so that's what I want to talk with you all briefly about today. Uh, what does it look like to live in a world that is destined for restoration? What does it look like to anticipate that, to live under that reality, and to live toward that reality? That's what Advent is about. And so this first Sunday in Advent, I invite all of you to ponder that with me. Now, the, the, the first thing that I want to focus on, on a very basic level here, um, is simply this. All of our readings affirm this. And it's, it's that the coming, the second coming of Jesus, the restoration that he brings, it is not our doing. It's not something that we invented. It's not something we thought up. It's not something that we set into motion. And I think that might sound obvious, but I also think for many of us, we all tend to live in a world where everything is determined by us. Is that not true? You live, you live as if I have to make sure that my story ends well in order for it to be okay. You think, gosh, I need to make sure that my life doesn't fall apart for my kids, or my family, or my siblings, or my friends, in order for this to be something good, coherent, and complete. And the reason we tend to think that way is because we think that whatever happens in this world, hear me out here, I think we actually believe this, everything that happens in this world is determined by us. Everything is up to us. It can be a sort of cosmic vision here, or it can just be about the particulars of your career, but we all live with this intense assumption that everything that happens in our day-to-day -day lives, or even in the broader sort of global world, is determined by our own doing. But you see, of course, that's not what Christianity teaches us at all, and it never has. For instance, if you look at Jesus' teaching in our gospel reading today, he says this. He says, no one knows the hour or the day that the Son of Man will return. No human being, no angel in heaven, not even the Son of Man himself. What a fascinating thing to say. 
Nobody knows when the Son of Man will return again. And you see what that means. It means that the whole plan, the whole concluding base note of all of the created order is not a human invention. It's not up to you. It's not up to the United Nations. It's not up to where you decide to eat lunch. It's not about how you feel. But it comes from somewhere else. And Christian theologians have actually had a word for this. I've had it for a long time. It's a, it's a word you have probably heard of. It's called apocalyptic. And uh, you're probably thinking, oh gosh, this is the part of the sermon where it gets really weird. It, it's, it's not what you think it means. Apocalyptic in the Christian tradition, it simply means unveiling or, or an uncovering. It means showing what is really at hand. It is about seeing the forces at work in the world that are actually there, not ostensibly there. But the basic idea behind apocalyptic theology is that the restoration of all things, the making right of all that is wrong in this world, cannot be from inside of this world. It actually has to be from somewhere else. And that might sound strange to you on a sort of initial level, but if you think about it and you settle into that truth, I would imagine that deep in your soul, you actually know that already, don't you? Think about it. In our late modern context, after two world wars, Genocides in West Africa, ethnic cleansings in Southeast Asia, ongoing war in Europe, a global pandemic that has disrupted all of everything that we know, and as of last month, get this, 8 billion people who live on this planet. How can all those stories end up right? Who can hold that all together? Not us. And you know that. You're not dumb. There is no hope for this world that is simply inside of this world. Christian theologians have always said, but it has to come from outside. And you see, that is one thing, oddly enough, that Christians have agreed on for many, many centuries, many centuries. We have disagreed about all kinds of things about the end of the world. We've disagreed about what it will look like. We've disagreed about when it will happen, lots of disagreements about when it will happen. We've disagreed about the sequence of events. But because of teachings like we have just read from Jesus today, we have pretty much always agreed that one, there is an end, that Jesus will come again, and that the need in this world is so great that only the creator of all things could fix it. And you see, the Christian gospel, friends, says that there is an answer to that need, and it is Jesus Christ. Paul writes, Christ has reconciled all things to himself, making peace by the blood of his cross. He makes peace by the blood of his cross. He will bring peace to the eight billion people on this planet, and only he can do it. So you see, the question for us on Advent 1 actually is, is not really how will we make this happen, but it is rather how will we anticipate this work rightly. And that's what every week in Advent is all about. How will we anticipate the coming work of Jesus Christ. And this is exactly what our Romans 13 passage was about. If you're paying attention to it, you'll, you'll notice it was the primary theme. Paul writes, he says, you know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us than when we became believers. The night is far gone and the day is at hand. 
So again, you see the task of the church in Advent. It is not to have everything figured out. It is not to have some sort of special knowledge that no one else has. It's not about doomsday prepping or hiding essentials down in your basement closet. The task of Advent is to stay awake. It's to stay awake. That means to be awake to the movement of a living God in this world. It means having the feelings of your heart, the knowledge in your mind, all of your cognitive capacities awake to the movement of God in the world, able to discern what he might be doing. That's the task of Advent. And you see, uh, the, task, uh, the passage in Romans is, is, is interesting here because I think it is somewhat revealing. Uh, I taught on Romans 13 last week in Sunday school about um, submitting to authorities and parents. Anyway, you, if you missed it, don't worry about it. Uh, <clears throat> but the first, the first half of chapter 13 in Romans, incredibly famous passage, so much has been built uh, around this passage. The first half is all about being subject to authorities. It's about, Paul says, you have to actually obey authorities and government structures and so on. And then all of a sudden, he mysteriously switches to the topic of love, and then he jumps once more to the passage that we just read about being awake to the work of God at the end of the world. And so if you're reading through the whole chapter quickly, you might say, what in the world is he doing? Why talk about being subject to authorities and then all of a sudden talk about the end of the world? Here's why. Because Paul thinks, Paul knows deep down that the coming kingdom of God that he spent his whole life preaching to the Gentiles about, the coming kingdom of God, the apocalyptic restoration of all things as we know them, isn't going to come through the manipulation of power structures. It's not going to come through coercion. It's not going to come through you figuring out your life better even. Certainly not going to come through sophisticated technologies. It's not going to come through our own winsome thoughts, habits, or worldviews. It's not going to be our work at all. The coming kingdom of God is God's work, and it is only God's work. It is not in your hands. It is from the God who made all things. You see the way that works. In a world that God has made, the only answer is that that one who made all things would actually show up to restore them as he actually made them. And so Advent this season, Advent 1, every week is about preparing your soul for this good work. And I will say, there's uh, many of you might feel a sense of hesitation in on this. You might think, gosh, I don't, I don't know that I really want to live my life as if the end of the world is coming. I've seen what that looks like. It's strange. But I don't know that you don't. Think about it. Martin Luther, maybe one of the most influential human beings of the modern, early modern era, lived his life as if the end of the world were coming. He actually believed that. And he changed the face of the church. But it wasn't just him. St. Augustine, probably the most influential theologian to ever exist, lived his life as if the end of the world were coming and he created Christian theology. But it's not just about church figures, it's also about biblical figures. Most scholars think that St. Paul also thought that the end of the world was coming, and do you see what he did? He brought the gospel of Jesus Christ to the entire Gentile world. He lived as if the night is far gone, and the day is at hand. 
don't you want to live that way? You see, it is not up to you, but you do get to live in deep and joyful anticipation of this coming work of God made manifest in Jesus Christ. So my message to us on Advent 1 is very simple, friends. Be awake. Staying awake in the Advent season is something that you have to do every single year, and this is not a matter of prepping yourself or making yourself perfect. It is not about getting everything in line. It is something you can begin doing today. It is about awaking to the living, active presence of God in your life. And you can start that today. The best way that I can think about how you can initiate this is a metaphor that I thought about several weeks ago. Some years ago, I was driving back from uh, western North Carolina and Hendersonville area back to where I lived on Lookout Mountain outside of Chattanooga. And it was about this time of year. um, It was late October, early November, don't remember exactly, but I decided to, to go home the long way you can go on the interstate, or you can go through the Nanahala Gorge, which goes along the Nanahala River. It's beautiful. It wasn't cold. It was a lot like weather is now. The sun was sort of low in the sky. It was late afternoon. And as I was driving down the road, I got more and more drowsy to the point where I, was, I caught myself nodding off a couple of times. There was nowhere to buy coffee or um, no stores. And so I... I pulled over on the edge of the road and I found a spot by the river where the water was deep and I found a prominent rock that went out into the water and I simply slid off the rock. When I went in, the water was freezing. And I came up and all of a sudden it was as if every tree were transfigured. All of the leaves were golden the wind felt sort of warm and delicious. I went from having no awareness of anything around me to suddenly in one instant being enlivened to the beauty of the world. You see, that's what you do this week in Advent. You release whatever it is that is lulling you to sleep and you open yourself up to the rigorous presence of God in your life and you see the world afresh. Friends, it's not a work that you have to do, you see. It's not something you have to muster up energy to do. You simply let yourself slide into that cold water and rouse your senses to the God who made you and is redeeming you. So friends, all of our scriptures tell us this week, Paul tells us, Jesus tells us, stay awake. I will remind you, this is not a matter of constant fear or dread or panic. This is simply having your own life stirred to the living presence of God in the Spirit. So I commend to all of you this coming Advent season, refresh yourself in the first coming of Jesus Christ. Look at his character. Look at the strangeness of his coming into this world and the beauty. And then behold his second coming, that you might live with hope and rigor and joy. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.